Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 91. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And another week of Monorail Radio Roulette on Disney+. Plus. I always get excited when we do these episodes because you just don't know what we're going to land on. Sometimes we land on something like Iron Will, which is a movie that we had never seen and pleasantly surprised us. Sometimes we land on things like Jackie's favorite, Don't Look Under the Bed. (laughs) This week, thanks to random numbers assigned to us by listener Joni Anderson, we landed on 2018's Black Panther. And I was excited to land on this movie because it's one that we had seen. It's one that I loved when we saw it in theaters. In fact, I'm looking at my Black Panther medal right now from the virtual run Disney races from last year. Um, But this is not a movie that either of us have seen very often. So I was excited when we land on this so that we had the opportunity to talk about it. I was also really excited because this just put us on the positive side of Disney Plus Roulette. I would say we were pretty much dead even with great picks and horrible picks. You're forgetting Escape to Wish Mountain. That's right. (laughs) And didn't we land on Blank Check once as well? Blank Check was our first one. That was a gift from God. Yeah, because we both loved that one growing up. So that one was great. Iron Will, like you said, we were pleasantly surprised by, and the other two were, were duds. So now this puts us... Back in the black. Well, we th- you think Don't Look Under the Bed was a dud. I'm back and forth on it, but you guys can go back and listen to that review as well as any of the other reviews that you need to catch up on on your podcast platform of choice. The other good thing about landing on this is that, you know, we've kind of embraced the roulette for things that we haven't seen right. or wouldn't necessarily have been at the top of the list for a review. This one, we know there's a sequel in the works. We probably wouldn't have circled around to Black Panther and and giving it like the real analytical breakdown until the sequel was ready to come out. So I'm glad now that because of Roulette, it jumped to the top of the list. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, we would have done it closer to the release of mm. the sequel. But in a way, I'm glad that it happened this way because it's a movie I've really been wanting to talk about for a long time. And because of the current situation, remember, this sequel was slated to come out basically a year from now, mm-hmm. May of uh, or no, it's it's sorry, two years from now, May of 2022. Um, so who knows if that's actually still going to be the date or not? Um, it could be pushed longer than that. So, uh, my point is I'm glad that we didn't have to wait two to three years before we got to sit and discuss Black Panther. Um, it was a movie that generated an awful lot of buzz when it came out. It was groundbreaking for quite a few reasons um, and historic. It was you know, one of the few comic book films to be nominated for Best Picture. It joins the um, Dark Knight as being the other one. Um, should it have one best picture? Was it better than Dark Knight? I think that's something we're going to discuss when we talk about the accolades as soon as we uh, get through our review here. A lot does happen because, remember, it's an MCU film. 
Um, for those of you who don't know what the MCU is, welcome to Monoreal Radio. I'm Sean. This is Jackie. Um, <laughs> Disney World is a place in Orlando, Florida, and Disneyland is in Anaheim. Um, <laughs> Marvel Cinematic Universe. So th- this had a lot of backstory, and this was the first Black Panther film. So they kind of shove a lot at you, specifically in the first five minutes of the movie. Right, because they, as far as the films go, they introduce... Black Panther in Captain America Civil War. So we've seen him before, uh, but we really don't know too much about him until this film. But what I really like and appreciate about it is that you don't really even need to see Civil War to appreciate this film. It's a complete standalone. Yeah. So with all of that being said, we are going to do a linear review of this film. You guys know from time to time we do this. We just did it the last couple of weeks with Pirates of the Caribbean. Just when there's so much going on in a film that it would be sort of confusing to run through an entire plot and then break it down. So let's jump right into it. Millions of years ago, a meteor carrying vibranium struck the continent of Africa, affecting the local plant life. Five local tribes fought over the land until one day, one of the members of a tribe ate the herb known as the plant of the heart-shaped herb. Mm -hmm. Uh, They ate it, and they were affected by the vibranium, gaining superhuman strength and became, uh, because of this, they became the first Black Panther and the King of Wakanda which is the name of the land in which the vibranium uh, vibranium exists. Four tribes agreed to live under the king's rule, while the Jabari tribe chose to live in the mountains. Wakanda became technologically advanced, but to protect the vibranium, they had to hide in plain sight. We're going to get back to that in one minute. I want to jump ahead for just a second here. We're going to fast forward now to Oakland, 1992. King... T'Chaka visits his brother uh, Najobu under suspicion that he is selling weapons to Ulysses Claw. It's also revealed that Najobu's partner, quote-unquote James, uh, is another undercover Wakandan named Zuri, and he exposes Najobu for his plot and his ill intent. So this is a very, very strong open. And... For so many reasons. Um, the first being, and and not the least impressive, that we just talked about how they give you an awful lot in the first five minutes here. Mm-hmm. Because this is the first Black Panther film. And they don't focus a ton on backstory, which I like. Because we've often sat here and said, Batman. And, and you're going to laugh because I always bring it up. But how many times do we need to see Thomas and Martha Wayne get shot? And Batman is a character that people are very familiar with the backstory. We don't need to keep seeing the same thing over and over again. Then you have on the other side, a character like Black Panther, which I think comic book fans are very familiar with. But if you're a non-comic book fan, you may not know much about this character, whereas you know Bruce Wayne's parents got shot. And they don't waste time with a lot of backstory. They give you a lot, but it's very, very well paced to start this film. I agree. The average Joe or Jane isn't necessarily going to know that much about Black Panther. I didn't until his appearance in Civil War. Um, But I agree. I was actually going to say to bring it into the Marvel Universe, it's the same with Spider-Man. How many times are you going to see 
uh, Peter Parker get bit by the radioactive spider. Yeah, Uncle Ben. Exactly. So in this case, it gives us the backstory. What I like is that, um, you know, we're seeing how the powers came to be. And it's also not scientific this time around, which sort of sets it apart. Yes. I mean, what they did with science and technology because of the vibranium, it, it grows exponent exponentially. But as far as the powers that the superhero themselves is going to harness it's an herb it's mm -hmm. just something that you take um i didn't love telling the backstory through the cgi animation to me i'd rather see the flashback play out rather than i mean the way that they use it in the story is that you know that it's Sterling K. Brown doing the narration and later you realize that it is Najobu telling his son the story of their ancestry. Um, and normally I would like to see that, like actually see it. Um, I can appreciate, though, that even though they went the CGI route, they do manage to bring that full circle later on uh, because they are using the vibranium to create these models when they tell the story. And later we find out that that's how they sort of use their technology. Like instead of a cell phone, you see the vibranium form the person that you're talking right. to. Um, so they do kind of address that. And it wasn't a total cop out. It looks really cool though. I'm, I'm not hating on the aesthetic of the CGI. I'm just saying like as a general preference, I don't love that. I thought the CGI looked great and you guys know at this point that we are not fans of CGI at all. In this case, it works. I love how uh, Wakanda does hide in plain sight. I love the hologram they put around to protect themselves. And I thought the open was strong. What I, and it, I love the outfits once we get to Oakland in 1992. Being a child of the 90s, um, born in the 80s, raised in the 90s, um, I see those outfits and it's something that I can recognize because the other thing that's unique about this film is that it doesn't take place on another planet. It doesn't take place in another universe. As you said, there's no radioactive spider that bites somebody. It's not a billionaire who got his butler to hide in the cave and feed him information and buy all the cool toys this is so unique, and because it's local to the planet Earth, local for a lack of a better term, it feels so authentic. So when I see the clothing styles of the 90s, when I see the Super Nintendo attached to the 27-inch tube television set in the apartment in Oakland, these are all things that are familiar to me because, you know, I had the Super Nintendo hooked up to the 27-inch tube TV. So it's familiar and it feels real to me. More real than a lot of other superhero movies out of the shoot. Yeah, it's weird because Iron Man is based in New York. You know, that's where they put Stark Tower. But for whatever reason, this feels more real. Right, because Tony Stark, Bruce Wayne, they're very similar in that Tony Stark is a scientist and he developed all of this, but he had the capital behind him to do it. Similarly, you can look at um, Captain America, Brooklyn. We're from Long Island. So you can say geographically we're close, but superhuman strength. Also vibranium, because that's what his shield is made out of. Spider-Man, 
Queens. We already launched through the radioactive spider. So this is so unique and so different from anything else that we've seen. And right out of the gate, I was fully invested in this film. Now, in present day, King T'Chaka is dead, and his son and current Black Panther, Prince T'Challa, is to assume the throne. He and one of his loyal warriors, Okoye, set out to retrieve his former lover, Nakia, so that she can be uh, present at his coronation, because it's coronation day, alongside (laughs) his mother, Ramona, and his sister, Shuri. Um... Nakia is off on a mission. She's undercover. Um, I think that, you know, when Black Panther comes in and they sort of interfere with this investigation, I love this as an introduction for her because she takes very seriously the fact that she's undercover and now her cover is blown. But specifically, it shows that as much as a warrior as she can be as much as a take no stuff person i said it last week it's so hard to be on a family friendly show sometimes because it's it sounds so silly when i say it i just wish i could say what i want to say but um you can i have no problem with it yeah it's not going to work out very well for us in the end um (laughs) um for as for as bad as she is right and for as strong as she is she's humanized because at one point, uh, T'Challa is being fired upon by one of these armed assailants with a machine gun. And as he goes in for the kill, she saves him and says he's just a boy. He was kidnapped like the rest of these people. So it, it humanizes her. So you get this, this strong character, but similar to what I just mentioned... She's not so strong and she's not so by the book that she's not believable. She's incredibly authentic. What I like, too, is that I feel like this is kind of a departure from anything else Lupita Nyong'o has done. You know, we've seen her in Disney before. She's done Star Wars. She's done Lion King. Uh, She also did Queen of Katawe. So to see her now as a spy when she's upfront about the fact that she's a spy and you don't, you almost don't know if you can trust her. I really like her in that role. And her being the ex lover of T'Challa also humanizes him because there's the joke that he froze when Mm. he saw her. And even when he's in the mask, he's like, hi, (laughs) it's like, he's still, he's still sort of smitten with her. You could tell he's still intimidated by her. So, for as strong as he is because he's a king, as strong as he is because he has this superhuman strength, in a weird way, he's just like the rest of us. That's something that also separates this movie right out of the gate, too, is because we always see what leads up to the happy ending. Now, it's like, well, why didn't this work out? Yeah. When they head back to Wakanda, this is the first time that we are actually in Wakanda and they fly in through the hologram and Wakanda is one of the most breathtaking I'm not going to call it a set because it is primarily CGI it's one of the most breathtaking environments that I think you've ever seen in film it's stunning 
until we saw Wakanda, Asgard was probably my favorite in the MCU, but it has nothing on Wakanda. Um, and what the filmmakers did so brilliantly was the blend of the old and new. You get these rich patterns that you're used to seeing in African design, and it blends seamlessly into a technologically advanced city and you don't think it's all going to meld together, but the way that they designed it is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Because they have certain buildings that are sort of modern and contemporary things that you would have seen in throw a dart at any major metropolitan area Mm -hmm. in this country, really in the world, but it doesn't look like it's out of place. No, especially there's even one, you have to look really closely. There is a building, but it has like the thatched roof coming out of the side of it onto a little balcony. And it it all just looks so flawless. And it also really lends to the idea of they're hiding in plain sight. Right. And the filmmakers went so far as to say that they didn't want it to be fantastical like an Asgard. So when you think about a city that is built using the greatest technology on Earth, hidden by hologram, you really have to be careful with how you design it if you don't want... Because the concept of it, by, by virtue, is fantastic. And the fact that they were able to... And, and mystical and mythical. And the fact that they were able to toe that line really is so impressive. Right. And we've seen this grandeur before in Asgard and even things like Tomorrowland. Yes. When Frank travels to the city. But what is so different about it here is that they have to ground it into things that we know because it is taking place on planet Earth. They're not traveling into space. They're not traveling into another dimension or even forward in time. It's here and it has to be believable. And, um, it really serves to one of the overall themes of the movie as well with this internal versus external conflict. And do you keep what you know and do you preserve the tradition or do you change with the times? Right. Now, off in London, Claw and Eric Stevens, also known as Killmonger, set up this huge robbery where they steal vibranium from a museum in London. And this scene is fantastic because first off it's a great robbery because it starts with eric fear uh killmonger um and he's such a hipster he exactly he looks like somebody whose name is spelled wrong on his starbucks cup every morning (laughs) and he's holier than thou and he's smarter than you and he went to some ivy league school he's cunning and he's arrogant That's why the intro is so good. The setup for the character is absolutely brilliant. And Michael B. Jordan is fantastic. He's so good. And I will never not love Ulysses Claw. The entire setup, the entire way they pulled this off. I'm not going to waste your time with breaking down exactly what they do. You can go watch the film. It's a heist. But it's a total heist. It has that kind of throwback heisty feel like an Ocean's Eleven or an Italian job, which I love. Um, But everything about this really is set up. And similar to the rest of the movie, it's very well paced. They don't waste a lot of time introducing these characters and getting right to the core of the apple, Sarah. (laughs) 
Um, well, anyway, at his coronation, T'Challa is challenged by Umbaku of the Jabaris for possession of the throne and is temporary, uh, temporarily stripped of his powers. However, they are restored after he defeats Umbaku and is officially crowned king of Wakanda. Similar to the rest of the movie, a great introduction for the character Umbaku. This movie does such a good job throughout that when they introduce a character, it's, and I'm repeating myself, it's paced well. There's not a ton of wasted dialogue. There's not a ton of ridiculous backstory. They get right into the action. And it's, it's a, I think it's a compliment to both writer, director, and actor because for all of that to work in concert together, it's it's impossible for the characters to be that well fleshed out that early that quickly without all three of them working succinctly. You're exactly right. What I love about this too is that you kind of get to forget that you're watching a comic book movie at this point because they do such a good job of setting up this ritual and establishing the rules and it really makes T'Challa's character a lot more dynamic because he's not only dealing with being a superhero, but he's also got to worry about becoming king. And what I like is the idea that you can challenge the authority and that if you have a legitimate heir to the throne, you can challenge the current reign and and possibly shift the entire political structure. It adds certainly a dramatic element, and it also meant a lot to the filmmakers here. They wanted to be accurate to tribal cultures, you know, because remember, this is this is set in a real. I mean, it's it, Wakanda is not real, but Africa's real. It's it's a real place, and that's why they had to nail it. It needed to be something that felt authentic because they're trying to pay respects to the region in which the film takes place. And and even Denai Guerrera in an interview had said that was a challenge for them because they're trying to be culturally accurate and be respectful to the history of their culture, but at the same time be sort of contemporary. And so that was a challenge that I think they met and also exceeded. And I think that it's this is important because, especially with Umbaku, that sets up what happens later in the movie. Right. When Eric Stevens does get to Wakanda. Um, but more importantly, it also, to tag team off of what you just said, it it's important for you to buy into, into uh, T'Challa both physically and emotionally. Because, yes, he lost his father, and yes, he feels authentic, and he, but he is of royal blood, and he is a person with superhuman strength. So I think you needed to connect with him and I think stripping those powers away, the threat of shifting the political uh, landscape, it's all, it all works to make him a character that you will buy into for the next two hours. And what I really appreciate, too, is that we see it all fall into his lap. This is something that he needs to do. No one can help him. And 
he's got to face what's right in front of him. Because what I really love that this movie doesn't do do throughout is he doesn't really question what would my father have done? What would the king have done? Uh, he's not in his head. I mean, they, they are able to travel back and talk to the ancestors, but it's done in such a way where this does not feel like Simba being completely lost and and trying to seek Mufasa's advice wherever he is. And I think it was really important to have this set up because we know he's completely on his own. Um, so it certainly succeeds story-wise, uh, set-wise. This is another stunning set. And for all intents and purposes, it's it's mostly practical. Most of it is a set build. They had the actors up on the cliffs. They built all of that. And there's a blue screen background, which was really surprising to learn because I would have thought they shot each group of people individually and, and the wides were CGI, but they didn't. Yeah, it's really impressive and it's very convincing. It doesn't look fake at all no and the colors are just absolutely stunning yeah they aesthetically this film is one of the best in the mcu and it's one of the best that disney has ever made yeah i was actually thinking and obviously we did it so recently it was you know it made me think of pirates and all the hard work that they had to do to make newly made costumes look aged and old and get them period accurate these don't necessarily have to be period accurate because we're not going back in time, but they have to be culturally appropriate and still manage to look like something that's contemporary. And and they just knocked it out of the park. Upon learning that Claw is planning to sell the vibranium that they stole in South Korea, T'Challa decides to go to South Korea but he's going to bring Claw back to Wakanda and have him stand trial for his crimes. He then heads to Shuri's lab, or as I call it, the Cat Cave, to see <laughs> her latest and greatest creations. Um, Shuri really shines here. I love her. I am obsessed with her. It's Here's the thing. She's so unique because it's easy for her to fall into a trap because you have a lot of basis of comparison for this type of character. Um, You've got Alfred in the Batman films. You've got um, Q in the James Bond films. Or even in the new Spider-Man, they kind of made fun of it with the man in the chair. Exactly. So for her to be an original and really stand out when you've sort of seen this played out before is a compliment to the screenwriting. No, and I love the fact that they chose to make it a female role because that's not something that you've seen. But at the same time, it also doesn't jam it down your throat. Um, I think they were smart because there's clearly an age gap between Shuri and her brother. And they established that sibling rivalry almost right away. You know, they're kind of joking with each other and she completely sets him up to to embarrass himself in her lab. Um, So I think those were all elements that 
just worked well for the story without it becoming too preachy that it's like, oh, there's a woman in this role now and she's so smart and she made all of these things and she's using the technology. And because they're doing it as that joking brother and sister relationship, it's all about the rapport and not all about the statement. Right. And Shuri is incredibly smart. She is incredibly funny. They do blend tradition with modern contemporary very well. And who does not love a Back to the Future reference? (laughs) Because they have the reference to Back to the Future too. The only issue I have with that is that she called it that old movie. Slow down. It's not that old. Okay? That's my only gripe with that line. But it also serves, you know, like I was saying, there is that age gap and that is where it's playing to the bigger picture because one of the conflicts, the biggest conflict really that T'Challa has is, you know, is it out with the old and in with the new or do I embrace the tradition? And Shuri is, you know, the embodiment of the idea of change with the times because obviously She's using technology as her vocation, but she also believes that he is stuck in the past. And it's as simple as calling out his shoes. Yep. And she goes so far as to say, just because something works doesn't mean it can't be better. Exactly. Well, in South Korea, T'Challa, Nakia, and Okoye intercept um, the transaction between Claw and who turns out to, or who they find out is undercover CIA agent Everett Ross, um, because he was there to buy the vibranium um, in an undercover sting operation. And once the cover is blown, a firefight ensues. They capture Claw. However, he is eventually broken out of the, it's not a jail cell, but the interrogation room that he's in by Eric. Um, Agent Ross, who has now learned of Wakanda's secrets in regards to their vibranium, is critically injured by gunfire and is brought back to Wakanda to be saved. As they prepare to board a plane for Wakanda, Eric kills everyone involved in the escape, including Claw, but not before exposing himself as a Wakandan. Um, Talking about this entire scene here. Well, before we get to the scene, we've mentioned her a couple of times. I want to talk about Okoye. Okay. And how awesome the casting is. Denai Guerrera is absolutely amazing. And, you know, I feel like she really embraces the role and she gets the character and she plays her with such conviction. But the stunt work in these scenes, I mean... I'm sure they used a double for insurance purposes, but you can tell where her walking dead training not only comes into play, but I don't think she even needed training in this case. It wouldn't be surprise it wouldn't surprise me at all if she did the entire stunt choreography. Like she'll yeah. kick your ass, she'll kick my ass, <laughs> she'll kick Kevin Feig's ass. Yeah. And not she, think twice about and it. Not think twice about it. Um but anyway. Back to, Back the, to the scene. The scene. Because I love a good casino scene. Yes. And and she's got a great fight in here. It it really all comes together. Yeah. Um The firefight is not dragged on forever. It's not uh one of these scenes that you've 
scene in, say, like an Expendables film where the building just ends up collapsing to the studs and there's a high body count. There really isn't. Um, I love the chase once they are out of the casino. Um, and if I didn't say it before, even though I did, I'm going to say it again. I love Claw. I love Andy Serkis. I love Claw. I did love Claw right up until he leaves the casino. And at that point, he loses all villain credibility for me because he's like, that was awesome. Who? What villain turns around to admire their handiwork? Him. I mean, that's just who he is. He's an eccentric. Well, here's the thing. I hate it in the moment, but what it does establish is that he's really not the villain, which we're soon going to find out. But yeah, if he's a real villain, he's not going to take the time to stop and and appreciate what he's done. He's going to move on to his next thing. So this is where it does kind of turn the table as you're the stupid henchman. And eventually we're going to see why. Right. And you do see it. In that next scene, it's a shocking reveal when you find out that Eric is a Wakandan. Um, It's a great twist. It's a great twist. I think it sells him as a strong villain, especially when he kills his own partner as well as Claw's and then Claw. So you get that full circle moment where Claw doesn't take anything seriously and it costs him his life. Right. And then you see that the suppose or the alleged underling is really the mastermind in all of this and and killmonger kills his not just his partner she was a romantic partner as well right and he doesn't think twice about it the only thing see this is where it kind of loses a little bit of cred for me too like the killmonger is like such a comic book name and okay this is a comic book movie we can we can overlook that but to me i'm thinking killmonger i'm thinking something that looks like Mickey Rourke and Iron Man or or like or Dax Jeff, and Guardians or, or Bridges in the first Iron Man movie. Yes. I'm thinking something like big and muscular. I mean, he's jacked. He is, but I mean, I'm thinking something more I, I don't think of a human, yes. I think I think of something that looks mechanical. But with all of that being said, uh his his scar tally is amazing. And you only get a small sliver of it in at this scene. point, yeah. You but think, oh, he's killed twenty people. Jeez, that's rough. Yeah, and but the makeup department did a phenomenal job with that. Yeah. What also works here in this scene is that there is dialogue between uh, uh, T'Challa and Wakabi. Wakabi is another one of these warriors. He's lover to Okoye, and there's dialogue where he gets frustrated that Claw didn't make it back to Wakanda. And he says it was the same thing with your father. So it plants the seeds early that Wakabi is tired of the same old, same old. And you start to wonder, are there other people in Wakanda who are tired of the same old, same old? Now, they could, and at one point they did develop that idea a little bit, but there's actually a deleted scene between Wakabe and Okoye. We know that the two of them are romantically involved but we don't really know for how long. And in this scene, they establish which side of the line they're on and they take the relationship one step further because Wukabe wants Okoye to leave the Dora Milaje. She is like the head warrior. She's 
as far yeah exactly but she's as high as you can possibly go she's almost like the you know the king's right hand at this point and she says that this is what you expect me to give up for our family and I, I think they were remiss to lose that scene because it gives so much more it it adds so much more tension to their relationship, but it also gives Wakabe a little bit more of a... It, it just gives him more backstory and gives him more motivation for when he eventually does say things like, we're, you know, we're sick and tired of the same old, and, and he starts to question... It, has he been loyal to the wrong person for the for the wrong amount of time? Exactly, because when he does start to question that, it almost comes out of nowhere. It, the way that it plays out with the deleted scene, we'll, we'll get to the scene in just a few minutes here, but it seems like he just heard a good speech and he bought oil from a snake oil salesman. Yeah, and in this scene, he has so much more conviction. Exactly, because it's it was something that was stirring in his head anyway, and he just needed... He needed to be convinced a little bit more. What he not even convinced, he needed to confirm that the way he felt was not unique to Wakanda, that there were other people that felt the way that he did, because he is going to stand up to the king. We sit here often and we watch deleted scenes, and sometimes we talk about them on the show and we go, geez, you know, well, boy, they really did themselves a favor getting rid of that one. I don't understand why or how this ended up on the cutting room floor. No, because I mean, for timing, maybe, but I it's think you're long, you're though. missing a huge story beat without it. It's not a long, drawn out scene, and it does it does a service to both characters having the scene in there. Honestly, as cool as the car chase through Korea is, I would have rather sacrificed a little bit of that to see more of this play out. Agreed. Back in Wakanda, Zuri tells T'Challa that his uncle fell in love with an American and betrayed Wakanda, and that his father killed his own brother to save Zuri, and that they left the son behind. That meaning uh, that T'Challa had a cousin that was orphaned in America. Eric arrives in, Rak in uh, Wakanda and presents Claw's corpse to Wakabe. Up to that point, I had never put the pieces together, but the breadcrumb trail that they led getting up to this point, or up to this point, I should say, was very well done. And it's not something that you will catch on to unless you've seen the movie a couple of times. Definitely. Um, at the palace, Eric's true identity as Najaka is revealed. He uh, challenges uh, T'Challa for the throne. And after, quote unquote, killing him in battle, because he does throw him off a waterfall, off a cliff, um, he is crowned the king of Wakanda. This might just be Eric slash Killmonger slash Najaka's strongest scene. Because he is a self-righteous extremist. Mm -hmm. He's confident in his convictions. And he is an extraordinarily strong villain. Physically, mentally, emotionally, intellectually, everything about what happens in this scene does nothing 
but benefit him as being a believable villain in this in this film. Right. I love how they brought the challenge full circle. And I think that also speaks to T'Challa's character as well, that he still honors the challenge because he could say, well, whatever, I'm king, go away. You don't even belong here. Right. And he chooses to embrace it, never expecting that Killmonger can actually best him. Right. Um, but yeah, I also love the story behind Eric's reasoning for wanting to be here and that he has watched his people suffer. And, you know, they took a really contemporary issue and applied it to this film again without being preachy, but it's so believable why he is hurting and why he wants a chance to take what is rightfully his. And they did it the right way by setting his upbringing specifically in Oakland, mm-hmm. specifically in 1992. Right. And and it is, you know, there are no secrets. This is a thousand percent an issue of race, but they did it in a way that is tasteful and respectful. For everybody involved. Yes. Um, and which is really what the Black Panther comics did during right. their time. I mean, Stan Lee was very progressive in that regard. Yes, he was. And... You know, he he has this idea in his head, you know, and he has seen, especially, like I said, being in Oakland in 92, not being far away from Los Angeles and everything that happened there in the early 90s. Not going to flesh it out. This isn't the place for it. But if you know your history, you know what happened in the early 90s in Los Angeles. So as 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 an impressionable child. Seeing that his father raising him a certain way to believe in fighting for the oppressed and and certainly it is a very it's it's a very battered and scarred history that nobody will deny that but living in that environment seeing what you've seen he takes it to the next level he wants to weaponize he wants to take over the world he wants to basically fight back for the last 200 years and he says it, as I said, with conviction. But what really sells him here is he kills Zuri. Because Zuri tries to intervene when he knows that T'Challa is not going to win this battle. And he knows exactly who he is. And he said, um, I don't remember if it was I'll fight you or I'll kill you. Um, but he calls him Uncle, Uncle James. Yeah. Which is how he knew him. And then he stabs him through the chest and he kills him. He then goes so far as to tell everybody who is around him after he has the ritual of becoming the new Black Panther to burn and destroy all of the heart-shaped herbs to ensure that he is the last king and he is the Black Panther. He does not want to run the risk that he is ever bested or beaten. Right. And not even considering that T'Challa might still be alive. This is just, you know, it's me. I'm it. No one is challenging me. Right. Um, before we move on, because we haven't talked about this yet either. I just want to hit on what a scene stealer Angela Bassett is. Oh my God. 
she plays Ramona. Yeah, I mean, I I love her in everything that she does. Probably most notably, I I've enjoyed so much what she's done with American Horror Story. Um, so I was really happy to see her in this, but she she's just fantastic. She's she's so maternal, um, and so like you can just tell she's not only the matriarch of the family and that they look to her, but she's just the matriarch of of her people she just embodies it it's amazing yeah she's spectacular and what i like about this scene too and it's the last thing i have on it after he becomes the black panther and he goes to the ancestral plane when t'challa went he spoke to his father and his father came to him in the form of a black panther before transforming transforming morphing yeah into his real self Mm. and he walks up to that tree and you could tell that there are black panthers in the tree and it's the spirit of all the former black panthers Mm -hmm. what happens here is that because his father died in the apartment in oakland he doesn't go to the trend uh traditional ancestral plane he goes back to the apartment in oakland and when he goes in and his father starts to talk to him and he says no tears for me He's a child, but when he finally voices up and steps up to his father and talks about how, you know, how he sees his plan playing out, he's now an adult. Mm -hmm. He literally grows up in the ancestral plane. Symbolically, it's incredibly strong. No, and it's an incredibly powerful scene, too, because when Sterling K. Brown, uh, Njoku... Yeah. Calls him out for, for not crying. He says everybody dies. And he says it's so The bluntly. kid just point blank. Yeah, it's it's an amazing delivery. It's an incredibly powerful scene. Um, I don't believe, though, going to the ancestral plane has to do with whether you're Wakandan or not. I don't think that has to do with where his father died. I think it has to do with the fact that he wasn't raised there and that he's not, I mean, of, although he is of the Royal descent, he hasn't earned his place yet. True. Because T'Chaka also didn't, didn't die in Wakanda. He, he died at the UN, but I, I think it has to do more with spiritually where you're at. Sure. Well, Najaka assumes the throne and plans to send weapons to their war, uh, war dogs around the globe, start a revolution, and expand Wakanda's power. Escaped from the palace, Ramona, Nakia, Shuri, and Ross, who is now fully healed thanks to the technology of the Wakandans, head to M'Baku to present him with the heart-shaped herb in order to rise up against Najaka. They reveal that they have retrieved T'Challa, who is clinging to life. They give uh, T'Challa the herb to save his life and restore his powers as the Black Panther. T'Challa returns, but N'Jaka refuses to give up the throne and sends the troops to kill him. While Okoye and the Dora Milaje, um, they rebel and they fight their new king. This is the only part of the film that gets a little muddled for me um, because I know that, technically speaking, he was crowned the king, but technically T'Challa didn't relent, nor was he killed, so the challenge really is not over. 
and Najaka, Najaka or Najaka, Najaka. Um, he's so by. He's kind of by the books. He's very much about the tradition, mm. and he wants to fight for his ancestors and he t- and and for those who did not have the power that he has. So it's so he's so powerful, and he's he's so about the code of his culture that, and he went so far as to say, "I don't need powers to kill you." So I don't know why he didn't try to best him again. Instead, he was like, no, no, no more challenges. I'm your king, and that's it. I feel like he sort of took the easy way out because he didn't want to fight anymore. Well, I mean, that goes back to what I said about character because T'Challa could have done the same thing, and he accepted the challenge. And we've also seen that since then, he ordered to have all of the heart-shaped herbs burned so that no one can challenge him again. Even though they didn't finish, I I think we've realized that he's so far beyond that and he wants to be king in the sense of it's my way or the highway. Right. Um, What I do love that we didn't hit on too is that Nakia, just before everything burned, she snuck the last heart-shaped herb out. And I love that they're going to the Jabari You know, we talked about this a lot in our Pirates of the Caribbean reviews. The enemy of the enemy is my friend. They know that they are physically the only ones capable who who would maybe have a shot at taking Najaka down. Um, I want to talk about, too, um, the scene that leads into that where Nakia goes to Okoye. And... um, I mean, the actresses are just so powerful in this scene and they really make it what it is. But basically, she calls Okoye out to help her. And Okoye basically has to explain, like, yes, I was friends with the with T'Challa. Yes, I was friends with you, but my job is still to the throne and it doesn't matter who's sitting on it. Right. I'm still a part of the Dora Milaje. This is my calling. And I just, I guess this is where that deleted scene would have come in. And I think it would have really bumped up the scene. It's a strong scene, but I think it really would have taken it to the next level if they would have left it in. I think it would have bumped it up more for Wakabi um, because you pretty much know where Okoye is at. Um, but... I mean, they really draw the line in the sand between the two of them. And it's just the the two actresses, they're such powerhouses. It's just such an amazing scene. Yeah, and it speaks volumes that as loyal as she is to the king, she's even more loyal to Wakanda. Exactly. I want to talk a little bit about the scene where we realize that T'Challa is, in fact, not dead. Um, that Jabari set is absolutely fantastic. Um, the fact that they were able to make snow work in Africa yes. was absolutely amazing. Um, it doesn't feel out of place at all. It's beautiful. I love the costumes. You know, a lot of them are in, in furs and, uh, you know, blankets, which, again, you get that f- so much fabric and patterns, and it, it just looks amazing. And it, it shouldn't, but they made it all work. Um, and at this point, too, now, T'Challa is... You know, he's barely clinging to life. He's in a coma and they're they're trying to bring him back. Uh, and there's one more visit to the ancestral plane. This is the perfect setup for Black Panther's role in Infinity War and Endgame because he calls out his father for killing his uncle and and keeping everything a secret. And he decides how he is now going to rule 
as king and that he is going to sort of start changing with the times and opening Wakanda up to the rest of the world. And you don't know it, but it's perfect foreshadowing because then in Infinity War, which only came out a couple of months following this, this was, I believe, February 2018, and then Infinity War was April. Uh, they bring the party to Wakanda and it's, you know, this is exactly what they were afraid of. They didn't want to open their doors to the rest of the world and then have to become so involved. And when the rest of the Avengers realize what a safe place Wakanda is, look what happened. They blew up their spot. And then come Endgame, he decides that he's going to fight for what's right and stand up to Thanos. And it, it was his choice to join the rest of the Avengers. Yeah. Um, strong payoff, certainly a strong payoff. Eventually, the Jabaris join the battle and they fight off the troops who chose to, far, uh, to follow uh, Najaka. Okoye convinces Wakabe to stand down. T'Challa plunges a spear into Najaka and takes him to see a Wakandan sunset, which his father had told him were the most beautiful he had ever seen. And he offers to save him. But Najaka instead chooses death and asks to be buried at sea with the ancestors who jumped off the ships as death was better than bondage, as he had said. What an incredibly strong message. Yes. And I have to say, this is one of the all-time great villain deaths because he dies on his terms at his time and he still has his conviction. It's the most full circle passing, I think, of a villain that we've maybe ever seen in a comic book film. To a point where I can overlook that their final stand took place on like a subway platform yeah, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. That's the only thing that bothers me and kind of takes me out of it a little bit. I understand that you had to do it there because earlier on in the movie when um, when Ross wakes up, Shuri's explaining how she built everything and that she had to harness the vibranium and they can basically power it down for a second through sound, I think yes. it is. Um I'm no scientist, it's, but it's I think that's what I got. to to travel. So they it, it temporarily stabilizes it so it can move on these uh, this train platform. Right. So I get that it had to take place there because if they're destabilizing it, both of them are in the suits at this point, and you're basically locked. You're you're locking two immortals in battle. Yeah. So they're not going to get anywhere. But just as far as you know, works for story, but not for setting. Wakanda's gorgeous. There was like so many other places that this could have happened. And there were so many other things that you could have done. And they, they didn't really use the setting to push the story forward, unfortunately. But that last scene does make up for it. Um, you know, you said that, that Najaka, you know, he's got his final character moment and he's going to go out on his terms. But T'Challa also has another character moment because he does offer to try to save him. Yeah. He's human. We talked about him earlier. He is totally human. And you see the human element one more time. And I think 
I think it's great. I, I don't know. I got nothing else to say. Well, he's also trying to figure out how can we move forward? This is also trying to find that balance between old and new. It's not just about saving this cousin that he barely knows. I, yeah, he's being a diplomat at the same time. Um, he is eventually reinstated as the king, and he buys the building where Najobu died in Oakland in order to set up the first Wakandan outreach center, and that's where the movie ends. We talked earlier about this film being nominated for Best Picture at the 91st Academy Awards. And the question I posed was, is it better than The Dark Knight? And I don't know if you guys have heard this or not. <laughs> I uh, I kind of like Batman a little bit. I think the answer unequivocally is yes. I think this is better than The Dark Knight. Wow. Because I think The Dark Knight is I'm going to I'm going to take one from Jeffrey Katzenberg. Oh my. Great, Great story and unforgettable, unforgettable characters. characters. I think part of what makes The Dark Knight great are the actors. I think what this film has going for it is it's got great actors outstanding pacing and a great story that's not to say that the story of the dark knight is not great but i think most of its accolades do come from the acting specifically from heath ledger um and i think unfortunately the circumstances around heath ledger's death served as pr for the film sure and i think that's why it got a lot of attention as well this though has literally everything going for it. I mean, if you're going to compare a Batman movie that has everything going for it to this, I would think Joker is more of the competitor. I mean, we're not we're not here to talk about Batman, but I'm saying as far as comic book movies go, because up until really this and then Joker, they were kind of not taken seriously in the industry. They're amazing. They're going to make money, so Hollywood loves them for that. They've, over the years, attracted more and more bigger star power. You're getting a lot more serious actors taking these roles. So they're not quite the joke, for lack of a better word, that your Sam Raimi Spider-Man was back in the day. Sure. So with all that said, for as seriously as they're starting to, as the industry is starting to take them, I don't think that prior to this film, Marvel would have had a leg to stand on when it came to an Academy Award nomination. If it was going to be anything, it was going to be this one because this transcends a superhero movie. Starting with something as simple as the suit, it separates itself. He doesn't have a hammer like Thor. He doesn't have a shield like the Cap. So already he looks different and you can take that more seriously because he doesn't have some gimmicky prop on him. He looks more menacing. Yes. Um, you know, the story's great. It is a standalone film. You don't need 
three movies of backstory to lead into this. You can just watch it on its own and understand exactly what's going on. Um, and, you know, more importantly, it pulls in contemporary issues without making them preachy. And I'm not also talking, I'm not, I'm not just talking about an issue of race. I'm also talking about, you know, you've got women in these roles. They are the beauty brains and brawn of this movie. And they managed to do that in a way that served the story. It made complete sense. It didn't feel forced. And again, it didn't get preachy about it. So it was a completely innovative movie in all of those regards that stands apart from many other superhero movies and it told a great story. So as far as your Marvel universe, like this was it, this had the shot. It not only deserved the nomination, but as far as superhero movies go, this actually had a fighting chance to win. It did because it had everything going for it. It had the cast, it had the story, it had outstanding sets the cgi when they used it it looked great the costumes were great there was a proper mix of humor and comedy and action the pacing i said it before was absolutely incredible it is one of my favorite films in the mcu and we're interested in knowing what you have to say about it as well. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News this week. Um, as of right now, the news just broke that um, the reopen plans for Walt Disney World in Orlando have been submitted to Orange County or will be submitted tomorrow, I should say. The news has broken that they will be submitted tomorrow, uh, May 27th, 2020. Um, and that's that's it. I'm not speculating on anything else. No, that's all I have to say is hallelujah. Let this put an end to the speculation because I... I can't. I mean, there there is so much garbage out there, not just about Disney. I'm talking in about general. in the grand scheme. There is too much right now. But for me, I mean, this affects our trip. This affects, you know, vacations that I am booking for people. And there has just been so much noise. I can't wait for it to be squashed. If it's not coming from the source, don't believe it. Yeah, basically. That's sort of a lesson for life, isn't it? Yes. Huh. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us here on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to leave us a like on your podcast platform of choice as well as on Facebook. Again, you can follow us on all of our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok as well. And while you're at it, you can go check out the brand new rebranded, relaunched monorealradio.com with links to every episode of Monoreal Radio, as well as our contact information. If you can't find us on social media by searching us, just go to monorealradio.com, and there's a link for everything there. Again, thank you guys so much. This week, we will be back next week, so until then, have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.